ashamed of. Uh, the bits of our past that we'd really rather never think about again. This book of Deuteronomy is a series of sermons by the great man Moses. But Moses begins it by raking up the past. By going over in excruciating detail Israel's most embarrassing moments, their most shameful moments. So why does he do that? And is that something we should do? You know, if we're, if we're saved by Jesus, our sins forgiven, our debt paid for by his death for us on the cross, shouldn't we just put our past behind us? So let's look into it. We'll look at chapter one. Uh, we'll also dip into chapter two and three because they, they kind of go together as unit. And first of all, we find Moses and the people of Israel at a place of decision. So verse 1, these are the words of Moses. Moses, Mr. Israel, the man who under God, led them miraculously out of slavery in Egypt and brought them to the edge of the promised land. So if you've ever had a boss or a head teacher or something like that, somebody who seemed like they were part of the furniture and were never going to leave, and then they have a leaving do and a farewell speech, that's the kind of picture we've got here. Because um, Moses has been Israel's leader for about 50 years. But he knows he's not going with them into the promised land. So he's given his final inspirational pep talk, if you like, um, at what he knows is a turning point in Israel's history. And Moses wants, God, wants God's people to thrive in the land that they're going to go into. He wants them to enjoy their very special relationship with God. So he doesn't pull any punches. Uh, the title of our series, Choose Life, that comes from some verses in chapter 30, which summarize really well Moses' message to him. I've got them on the screen here, so you don't have to turn to it. Uh, this is from chapter 30, verse 19. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So Moses begins right now to show them how to choose life. Before going any further, they need to learn from their past mistakes he wants them to view their future through the lens of their, their history with God. So most of Deuteronomy is Moses' words, but there's little editor kind of added bits you can see. So there's a little detail there in verse 2. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb. That's, so Horeb is uh, the same place as Mount Sinai in, from Exodus, if you remember that. Uh, it takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. Verse 3, though, in the 40th year. So I've got some maps. Uh, here's a nice one that's probably too hard for you to see. I don't think you can see a line at the bottom of the points bit there. Is there route from Egypt. Horeb is at the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula there. Um, in in um, tribute to Microsoft Paint going defunct now, there's another one. This is more like it. Here we go. So you can see they've gone from Egypt, crossed the, the Red Sea, Sinai is where they made their covenant with God. So 11 days straight up to Kadesh on the edge of the promised land. But the red line is what they've actually done. 
Um, yes, as we join them, they're kind of further around to the east there. But the point being made is it's taken them 40 years to make an 11-day journey. So why is that? And what can they learn from it? And what can we learn from it? So first, so let's be clear who Moses is talking to. That's the next heading on your outline, them and us. So Moses speaks to these generations in front, the generation in front of him as if they were involved in all the events he's going to talk about over the last 40, 40 years. Verse 6, he talks about us. Verse 9, at that time I said to you. Verse 26, you were unwilling to go up. But in fact, if you look at verse 35, almost none of the original Exodus generation of fighting men were left, dying often in the wilderness under God's judgment for failing to enter the land. So the people Moses is speaking to were actually either children back then or just not born. But Moses is speaking to them as God's chosen people. So I remember, do you remember Kevin Rudd saying sorry to the Aboriginal people in Parliament? I remember hearing, uh, we were quite new immigrants then, but um, I remember a colleague at work saying, well, I'm not sorry, I wasn't there. And even me, I as a newly new immigrant could see that she'd missed the point. The message is for God's people to learn from God's people. They've got a collective identity. And that's why Moses reminds them in verses 19 to 23 about how he devolved leadership to them. It was all too hard for him to do on his own. He wants them to recognize that it was Israel collectively that's to blame for them being 40 years late to the party. Moses will admit he's got his share of the blame, but he insists all the people must wear it as well. Well, what about us? We need to be careful when we're looking at the Old Testament to recognize that we're further along in God's um, big plan, uh, our salvation history, and we've got to adjust how we apply these words to ourselves accordingly. But Moses' message is for us too. Us, the new humanity, united in Jesus, God's people. And I know that because it tells us in the, in the New Testament. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, these things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Talking about these very events. So for them, their past horizon was to be dominated by God's grace to them in the Exodus, bringing them out of Egypt, and his covenant with them at Horeb, or Sinai. Our past horizon is to be dominated by God's grace to us in the life and teaching, the death and resurrection of Jesus. For the, for the Israelites, their future horizon was to be dominated by them enjoying peace with God in the land that he promised them, living in obedience. Our future horizon is to be dominated by our sure hope of eternal life, in a new heaven and new earth. They've been struggling the last 40 years, but they're about to become really well off, really comfortable and well provided for when they settle in the promised land. And the big question is, how are they going to remain faithful to God when they're rich and comfortable? Well, what about us? I mean, not all of us, but um, most of us are pretty materially comfortable. The Adelaide life is good, isn't it? You know, you've got uh, sunshine, beaches, good coffee, food, wine, fruit chocks. Oh, no, not interesting fruit chocks. Uh, the challenge for most of us won't be trusting God for, uh, for our daily needs. 
The challenge for most of us will be to remember God when we're hypnotized by the material ease of our lives. For Moses, this generation before him might as well be the one before it or the ones following them because the message they need is the same and we need to hear it too. And so Moses takes them through a warts and all tour of their places of failure. That's the next point on your outline. Places of failure. What Moses does is he shows them their past disobedience to encourage their future obedience. Past disobedience showing them to help them with their future obedience. So what's going on? We'll whisk through it. God told them, verses 6 to 9, to head off to take possession of the prime land that he's going to give them as a free gift. Uh, Verse 19, they march there, sustained and guided by God through the vast and dreadful wilderness, and they reach Kadesh Barnea at the foot of the promised land. And then verse 21, see, the Lord your God has given you the land. It's a dead, dead cert. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. But they were afraid, so they sent spies to get a sneak preview, and they confirm it is a good land, but, but still, verse 26, but you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us, so he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say, the people are stronger and taller than we are. The city is large with walls up to the sky. We even saw Anakites there. More of them soon. Instead of trusting God's promises, they trusted in appearances. And on the one hand, you think, well, all I've known is slavery and being desert nomads. So, of course, they're terrified by fortified cities and soldiers. But also think of what else they knew, what else they'd experienced. I went to see the uh, Dunkirk movie the other day. I won't give anything away, don't worry. But it's about the evacuation of 300 troops, Allied troops from Belgium in the Second World War. Now, that event happened within my grandparents' generation, within their memory. Not many people's living memory now. And yet it's still, Dunkirk is still part of the British nation's kind of national psyche. The Israelites had seen something much more spectacular in their own living memory. Verse 29. Then I said to you, do not be terrified, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. And in the wilderness, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. They had had more than all the help they needed. And so, verse 40, that generation are sent into a kind of a, into reverse gear, reverse exodus, back for that generation to die off in the wilderness. So Israel are at a crucial point again for their future a point they've been at before on the edge of the promised land. 
humanly speaking, a frightening point with the odds against them. And so Moses needs to drag up their past to help them see that they've got God on their side and his plans are unstoppable. He needs to show them their past disobedience to help them obey in the future. Because God is faithful to the promise of land he's made to his people and he doesn't want this generation to miss out on it like their parents. We need to face up to our past too. And we need to do that with our gospel armor on, with our shields of faith to deal with the arrows of guilt and shame that will come when we look back. We need to look back sure that in Jesus we are forgiven. We are safe in his arms. And I went to a lot of dreadful Christian meetings as a teenager where they would just keep picking at psychological scabs, emotional wounds of your past to provoke a reaction. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to emotionally manipulate you or guilt you into response to God. But unless we remember just what we've been saved from and what we are being saved from, we're doomed to keep making the same mistakes. If, like Israel, we forget the grace and power God has shown in rescuing us, we're doomed to keep making the same mistakes. So for me, I've been thinking about my past a bit more than usual recently. There's on Facebook, someone's made a page for my old form teacher because he's had a brain injury and, and lost some paralysis. So we've all been sharing memories to cheer him up, and it's brought heaps of memories from school flooding back. And later this year, I'm going to a wedding in the UK, and loads of those guys from school will be there. So for me, the temptation will be to engage with them as I did then, uh, doing my best to fit in with the crowd, to be the funniest, most likable guy at almost any cost. I need to remember just how much God has saved me from in the past so I don't slip back into ungodly ways. If we do look back and find ourselves overwhelmed with shame and regret, what should we do? Well, what we shouldn't do is throw good after bad, trying to make up for it with our own action. That's what the Israelites did in verse 41. Uh, you know, sort of, sorry God, uh, yeah, we realize we got it wrong, we'll, we'll fight now. But it was too little, too late. Uh, their attempts to make things right ended up being more disobedience because God's already altered the plan. God has already dealt with our past disobedience. He's dealt with our future disobedience and our present disobedience. Jesus took on, took on himself the punishment we deserve in his death on the cross for our disobedience. So the way to deal with our past disobedience is with the obedience of faith. The obedience of throwing ourselves on God's grace, his mercy, trusting him to make us right in Jesus. We'll see as we go through Deuteronomy that Israel's only hope of obeying in the future is to trust God completely. And our only hope of obedience, of dealing with our past in a healthy way, is to throw ourselves on God's mercy by repenting and trusting in Jesus. So have you done that? 
Or is your past stacked up against you, leaving you wandering in the wilderness? You can leave here today knowing that it's all dealt with, all paid for, all made good, and you have place in an eternal promised land with only good things to look forward to. All you need to do is to put your trust in Jesus. We need to learn from and trust God with our places of failure. And we need to trust God in our success as well. And we get a sneak preview of what happens when we trust God and obey him on Israel's road to success. That's your next heading, road to success. So, fingers are ready. We'll have a quick look at chapters 2 and 3. So, even in judgment, Israel had experienced God's grace. Deuteronomy 2, verse 7. The Lord your God has blessed you in all the works of your hands. He has watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you, and you have not lacked anything. But then Moses really sticks the knife in and twists it a bit by contrasting Israel's response to God's promise of land with that of the nations around them. Because on the road to the promised land, they're going to pass through some other nations. Um, So chapter 2, verses 9 to 12. Then the Lord said to me, Do not harass the Moabites or provoke them to war, for I will not give you any part of their land. I've given Ar to the descendants of Lot as a possession. The Emites used to live there as people strong and numerous, and as tall as the Anakites. These Anakites keep getting a mention, don't they? The spies mentioned them. They were supposed to be giants. There's a slide there. Thanks, Robert. This is uh, Robert Wadlow, I think he's called, the world's tallest man ever. Um, there was, Anakites were supposed to be giants, big, scary men. Um, I once uh, CT scanned some Tongan soldiers. Uh, they seemed to me like, like superhumans. They were massive and strong. It's that kind of idea. Scary-looking blokes. Verse 11. Like the Anakites, they too were considered Rephites, but the Moabites called them Amites. Horites used to live in Seir, but the descendants of Esau drove them out. They destroyed the Horites from before them and settled in their place, just as Israel did in the land the Lord gave them as their possession. Same thing, verse 19, chapter 2, with the Ammonites, they overcome the giant Zamzamites. So all these ites and giants, giantites, what's the message? When God gives the land to a people... Nothing can stop them. Not even the strongest humans, not even giants can stop them. And that was just other nations, not God's promised people, uh, chosen people. God had made them promise and had taken the land. But God's own people, who had already experienced miraculous deliverance from the superpower Egypt, well, they thought it was all too hard. There are signs of hope, though. More recently, they had trusted God when King Sion, Sion had refused to let them pass. Uh, and the result, chapter 2, verses 32 and 33, Sion and his armies are completely defeated in a battle that seems over before it's begun. And then you flick over to chapter 3, uh, we've got King Og of Bashan. Cool name, King Og. God tells him not to be afraid. And they're not this time. They trust God. And chapter 3, verses 3 to 6, these desert nomads defeat Og and his 60 fortified cities. All of them. And what's more, I've got another great little detail. Chapter 3, verse 11. 
Og, king of Bashan, was the last of the Rephaites. His bed was decorated with iron and was more than nine cubits long and four cubits wide. And you can still see it in the museum at Rabba, apparently. That's, that's four meters by 1.8 meters, or 14 foot by 6 foot bed. Why do we get to find out how big King Zadok's bed was? So you know, he was a giant. But Israel trusted God, and so defeated him. Moses wants to remind them, before they enter the land, the goodness of living, trusting, and obeying God. Moses wants them to choose life. So what seems daunting or impossible for you? Uh, for me, humanly, it's evangelism. Um, when I was at Bible college, we had, we had um, a day where all missionary societies came in, did kind of an open day. And I remember talking with Sharon thinking, Australians are just not interested in the gospel. They're just too comfortable, too self-satisfied. Maybe we should go overseas. In the end, I think everyone's got their barriers to the gospel. Here it's ease of life. Elsewhere it'll be poverty or another religion. But you know, God can overcome anything and promises that he will for those that he's chosen. Uh, maybe your impossible barrier is yourself and that sin that you keep returning to that seems impossible to overcome that you fear will always be holding you back from all you know God wants you to be. Trust God. Obey him. Turn to him to overcome the impossible for you. Chapter 3, verse 23. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. So we must also deal with our success carefully, as well as our failures. We must guard against pride and ensure we give the credit to God. So Ben's been telling me off recently for the way I talk about our numbers here at the Bay. Um, I tend to say, oh, we're doing all right, we've bounced back to about 100 plus. That number's actually adults here at 10 a.m. Overall, with children and TBE, it's more like 160, 170. And I think... What I'm doing is I'm guarding against pride of like being proud that our numbers are so great. For me, it's easy to pat myself on the back and pat you uh, for bumping our numbers up. When really, it's God who takes the credit. It's God who brings the growth. So to finish, is it a good thing to go raking up the past, success or failure? Yes, with Jesus' saving work on the cross and our perfect future in God's eternity dominating our horizons, yes. Because it's as we face our past, we see how serious our sin is and its consequences are. As we face our past, we can learn from our past disobedience to help us obey in the here and now and in the future. As we face our past, we can see God's faithfulness and grace to us. As we face our past, we see our own exodus 
Jesus dying for us on the cross. Jesus shows us the depth and seriousness of our failure. And he shows us the height and reality of God's love for us. Jesus brings us down to size, showing us we're sinners deserving judgment. And Jesus lifts us up to be children of God, his brothers and sisters. The gospel of Jesus makes us cry at our own hopelessness and then laugh with joy at our sure hope. So face your past failures. Use them to throw yourself on God's mercy and to prompt you to obey from now on. And face your successes, praising God for his gracious, undeserved provision and love for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace to us and thank you for your word to us in Deuteronomy. Please help us to um, face up to our past in healthy, helpful, uh, gospel-centered ways, assured of your saving grace in our life, learning from our past failures so that we may obey you, uh, keep bringing you glory, and enjoy your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. We've had quite the reminder of um, how simple we can be, um, but also uh, a reminder of how amazingly faithful and gracious our God is. So let's sing together and continue that. Like me.
right, Mandy, if you're going to come and play with us, take a seat. Please join with me in praying. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the book of Deuteronomy and the many things we can learn from it about the way you've worked out your purposes for your people. Remind us afresh of your great love for us and your desire for us to live obedient lives where we listen and love. How thankful we are for Jesus taking our punishment so that we can live in security in our future with you. Help us remember you in the midst of our easy, busy lifestyles that can distract us. Remind us of our past failures so that we can truly appreciate your grace and teach us to trust you in all things. Thank you for the way you are caring for us as a community and the many ways you bring us together. Thank you for Crystal and Tani's baptisms and the recent redef camp for youth and the staff away days. Please help us keep on building each other up and caring for each other in the good times and the hard times. For, for those of our community who are doing it tough, please be with them to give them peace through all the heartaches and remind them to cling to your eternal plan. We pray too for our brothers and sisters in the Trinity Network, but also beyond, and pray that wherever Christians are in this world, they will know deeply Jesus' forgiveness and the security that that brings. Be with us in the coming week, reminding us daily of your love and provision. Amen. And please join with me in saying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, All right, we're going to finish off with our final song. Uh, this is an excellent one for encouraging us all to go out in faith, uh, to be learning from our mistakes, learning from our history, and going out confident uh, in the faith that we have in Christ. So let's stand and sing. By faith we see the hand of God In the light of creation's grand design In the lives of those who prove His faithfulness Who walk by faith and not by sight By faith our fathers roamed the earth With the power of His promise in their hearts of a holy city built by God's own hand a place where peace and justice reign we will stand as children of the promise
by faith the prophets saw a day when the longed for Messiah would appear with the power to break the chains of sin and death and rise triumphant from the grave. By faith the church was called to go in the power of the Spirit to the lost to deliver captives and to preach good news in every corner of the earth. We will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on him, our soul's reward. Till the race is finished and the work is done, we'll walk by faith and not by sight. By faith this mountain shall be moved, and the power of the gospel shall prevail. For we know in Christ all things are possible for all who call upon his name. We will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on him, our soul's reward. Till the race is finished and the work is done, we'll walk by faith and Stirring song, uh, that one, definitely, isn't it? Um, we've almost finished our time here. If you'd like to please join us next uh, door for some uh, supper, we can continue on these conversations and these things that we've um, been hearing. If you'd like to uh, subcri- uh, subscribe to the reading plan, just remember to do that. It'd be great for all of us to be reading together. And to uh, fill out this, uh, fill in this connection card, it's a great way for us regulars to, to uh, put comments and uh, questions and good feedback and for new people to... Uh, let us know your details there. Well, it's been a great challenge uh, to face our past, but to know the truth that we have um, in Jesus. And we give thanks for God's salvation plan in Jesus. Paul puts it like, uh, puts it like this in Romans. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How, un- how unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Please uh, yeah, join us next door and uh, stack a chair. See you next week. God bless.